It's Michael here for our inaugura- inaugural edition of Oilers Live Tuesday on EdmontonSportsDoc.com. My name is Michael, also known as Oilers Live. I've got my trusty sidekick Dash in the park and special guest Bruce McCurdy on with me tonight. Special thanks to our guys Dustin Nielsen, Matt Iwanek, Tom Gazzola, and Lieutenant Eric uh, for this opportunity to have our part in the Edmonton sports scene. And Heavy Hockey Live at Night will be on Tuesdays uh, with Oilers Live. That's Dash and myself, 9 p.m. Mountain. And then Wednesdays with Devin, Bruce, Tyler, and John, which is tomorrow night at 9 p.m. Mountain for the Fantasy Hockey Hacks. Now, a couple of uh, housekeeping items for our new listeners tonight. There's a live chat that occurs on our YouTube channel. You can interact at www.youtube.ca slash heavyhockey. Please give a subscribe while you're there. And all of this is brought to you by the Heavy Hockey Network, which can be found at www.heavyhockey.com. So tonight on the show, as I said, my sidekick Dash plus special guest for our inaugural Edmonton Sports Talk show is from the Cult of Hockey, Bruce McCurdy. Guys, uh, let's make it count tonight. Bruce, how you doing? Very well indeed. This is a, this is a great honor uh, sitting in on the on the first one, it was in our midst today. We had a huge power failure in St. Albert last night for like five hours. And overnight, and our computer system here at home completely crashed. And my son, who is an IT for a living, and definitely my IT, was on the road in Winnipeg. And he had to fix it long distance. Kevin was a savior today. Thank you, Kevin. And here we are. <laughs> Thanks, Kevin. Thanks for making Bruce's appearance uh possible and dash how you doing tonight well i couldn't be more happy to have anybody that bruce mccurdy on for our you know premiere episode uh friend supporter so i'm really happy about that myself uh, buddy i'm like katrina in the waves i'm walking on sunshine <laughs> right don't on. feel good right on right on and uh you know i it seems like every day this off season, I keep thinking when we get up to Tuesdays, we're not going to have anything to talk about, uh, but go figure, <laughs> you know, it's like Ken Holland knows our schedule. He's got to announce something or he, you know, he makes a special appearance on uh, Oilers now with Stoffer. Uh, and so we've got lots to talk about tonight. Um, you know, uh, of course, not long uh, before the show, uh, tonight, um, Ernie was uh, signed to a PTO uh, coming into camp. And Bruce, I know, uh, I know the internet was not your friend tonight, but uh, now you know, and and we'll have a talk about that among other things. So pretty excited uh, tonight. We're going to talk about some headlines. Uh, we might have um, uh, some uh, glitches along the way. This is our first time live on EdmontonSportsTalk.com, so there's a few little extra pieces going and uh, just bear with us tonight we should um, and feel free yeah you know, and I know you will but feel free to let us know uh, how the audio is and everything in the chat uh, and we'll just go from there we'll work on it as we go um, it's pretty exciting I think uh, there's a little bit of anxiousness and uh, excitement from uh, Dash and myself and Bruce well I think you're a veteran of all of this uh, you've probably uh, 
you know, let's start. What's the biggest technical error you've ever had on air (laughs) that you could think of? Error? Yeah. Does anything big happen? Like you just like maybe dead air or. Oh, probably lots of times. I make sort of verbal typos. <laughs> and I say, I, Don't we all? I mean one thing, and uh, I'm sort of following my own chain of thought, but I'm not careful enough with my words. The other day, for instance, I talked about um, uh, Ethan Bear playing 71 games, uh, all the games in the shortened season, the COVID shortened season. I, mean, <laughs> I heard you say that. <laughs> shortened season, which, I mean, it was shortened season. I mean, usually that's lockout, right? Anyway. The old, the old brain cramps are, do seep through, and uh, they uh, do provide one with a chance for abject humility once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. Yeah, well, we definitely have that uh, <laughs> happen here once in a while as well. Yeah, thank, uh, thankfully, we've got the internet to save us. I've actually got a, an 80s party happening soon, and I was thinking way back when, I mean, all we had was the newspaper we could uh, <laughs> we could go to for late breaking news, and if you're lucky, you go uh, onto the radio. I'd like to talk about that because lots has changed in the Edmonton sports scene. Of course, uh, EdmontonSportsTalk.com is new. Uh, we just followed um, you know a great show on Edmonton Sports Talk called uh, Race the Raceline Radio uh, Network. Uh, that was. Um, this fellow, Eric uh, Tomas, if you haven't had a chance to listen to him ever, I, I actually had a good quick listen uh, before the show. That was great. number of different people. Of course, I'm loving this um, hangouts uh, that they have uh, at Edmonton Sports Talk. Uh, first cool. day, they had JMO on, and, and let me tell you, it was nice to hear his voice uh, talk about the, the Elks, who are on a home game winning streak. Am I <laughs> 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 who would have thought? Uh, so that's all pretty exciting. But lots going on. And um, one of the things we'll talk about, and I don't know, if Bruce, in, in the absence of the internet, if you had the chance, but we're, we are, as I've said many times on the show, lucky to have uh, the people in sports media in Edmonton that we do. One of those people is Bob Stoffer. Uh, and um, I actually uh, I listened to his interview with Ken Holland, uh, and he asked a couple of tough questions, uh, you know, of uh, Holland, and he could have could have held back, you know, about um, you know trading uh, assets at the deadline and a couple of other things. Uh, did uh, first off, Bruce, today did you get a chance to listen to Stoffer's show? Yeah, to Stoffer uh, and no, Ken Holland. I'm afraid I didn't. I I heard um, a low tide show in midday uh, on. Uh, uh, I, I, I don't get really great reception, but I was able to get it on my phone, so I listened to that. But uh, I needed my phone for other things, so uh, I, I carried on. So I often listen to Bob's show in the archives, and I found out now it's at 5 o'clock. Uh, I often don't get that chance until the next morning, where it used to be. I, you know, in the afternoon, I could go in and pick and choose, you know, two or three parts of the show and and uh, dispense with the ads. Sorry, Bob. And uh, just listen to the actual content, which is, you know, there's a lot on that show. You learn a lot by listening to uh, that show. So this whole rearrangement of the hours and now the the uh, sports uh, radio sort of into a couple of, of uh, I think, um, 
competitive in that they're competing with each other for airtime, but uh, a friendly competition, I'm sure. I mean, you mentioned all the good people at uh, Edmonton Sports Radio earlier, Dusty and and uh, and Eric and and uh, Tom and so on, and, and handsome Tom Gazzola. So uh, they're all good people. I know them myself and uh, think highly of them. So that's a good group. And yet over on the other side, we've got... Uh, uh, we've got Low Tide bringing his uh, mm-hmm. eternal wisdom, and and uh, uh, Gregor kind of running the show there, and you know bringing in the bringing he brings it day after day. I'll give I'll mm-hmm. give Gregor all of that, and and uh, I don't agree always with him, but uh, <laughs> uh, that's what conversation is about, man. It'd be boring if we all well, agreed, so. right? Yeah, there's some polarizing figures uh, in uh, in Edmonton sports media, but I think it just makes for some great conversation, right? Just exactly like you said. I mean, if we all, what did they say? If you all agree, it makes for bad radio. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, talking about Stoffer, he's, um, he's really brought the guests to the show lately. Dash, like, who's he had on this week? I know you're a regular, regular listener, so... Maybe list. Yeah, Sarah Valley a couple times. McTavish had a two-part series. Nice. Um, Laroc was on there to finish their week. Um, John Shannon, of course, is a regular. Yeah, well, he had McDavid and Drysital as well. Did he not? Uh, recently, sure. yeah. sorry, who? I've never heard of those guys. <laughs> I mean, he's David O'Connor. Is that who he's referring to? David O'Connor. <laughs> David O'Connor. David right, O'Connor. Yeah. That's I've heard guy. of him. That's the guy. So, I mean, Stoffer's been. Uh, been bringing it i don't know if the guests are coming because it's a little later in the day maybe that uh maybe that helps but um you know he's going to attract people to that hour just based on the guests he's getting yeah well that's basically establishing a whole new market for himself in some respects you know i mean he'll bring regular listeners along i'm sure but uh in terms of uh you know you want to you want to hit it with a running start and uh from that guest list he has done all of that one of the greatest consequences of 1260 ending their airwaves was the fact that we've got, you know, a little bit of a break before it happened, but more to listen to than we ever have, you know, between sports 1440 and ourselves and Edmonton sports talk and everything else that's going on. There's, there's a lot of content out there now and, you know, the Edmonton fan base craves it and loves it. Yeah. <laughs> so I understand. And, uh, of course, Cult of Hockey will be back uh, full-time again, right, uh, once the yeah, season we've been doing starts. Like They've been going. Yeah. Throughout the summer. And, of course, once we get back into uh, uh, regular season, we'll be doing a podcast after each and every game, like our post-game podcast has yeah. become a staple for uh, six or seven years now that we've been doing every Have you game. ever missed a game? I mean, you may have missed one or two, but, I mean, well, has, I the, call, has the Cult of Hockey ever missed a game? And I've had personally had a couple seasons where I never missed even one game. Really? Uh, and a couple of you know, a couple here and there, but not. Uh, uh, it's it's a priority to be there if possible. And every once in a while, I'm away at some astronomy event off in the mountains or middle of nowhere, and it's a little harder to do them from there, you know. But uh, otherwise, uh, I stick pretty close to home and. Uh, and uh, when I do go to the games, we do the podcast, but a little bit later, but it's a totally different viewpoint seeing the game in three dimensions and in two. And I, I partake in the game very differently. In fact, I kind of insist to my 
co-workers that I not grade those games when I'm going in person because I, I won't be able to do a good job of it. I, I, I see them more as a team as opposed to breaking down all the individual this and that. And it's that third dimension really kind of brings a whole different vantage point. Yeah, there's a number of players that I love watching in person for some of the things they do without the puck. One of those guys uh, that, you know, I've had the chance to watch is Darlene from Buffalo. Like, he's a guy that uh, when you watch him on the ice and you kind of, you know, you zero in on him uh, like you would have with that old ITV, remember the interactive TV, and you could pick oh, yeah. a player. <laughs> that didn't last long, yeah. but but you can do that when you're at the game. And, and if you watch Colleen, right. he just does, you know, some amazing things, right? And guys like, like Lemieux used to do a lot of things oh. without the puck. Uh, that you might not see. I mean, typically he was involved right in the play, but you know, sometimes you don't see those things if you're watching on TV, unless if you happen to be lucky enough that the uh, commentators uh, circle back to it. I really like as an old goalie, the seats behind the net, looking up the ice, you see a lot of the crap that goes on behind the play. Sometimes that, you know, they're skating back and all of a sudden there's a little stick work and the refs are both looking the other way and on they go. Uh, um, but uh, you, you see some of that stuff and you really get a very different sense of the game coming towards you and going away from you as opposed to the side mm-hmm. to side as the TV view. So it's, it's uh, with my little mini pack that I get every year, I try and get something in the uh, high end zone. So Bruce, Thank we've, uh, we've got uh, two sort of trends on the uh, chat so far. Uh, one is there's a, a ton of fans for you. Uh, you've been called a national treasure. Uh, who doesn't love Bruce? Uh, people asking if you're live streaming again. And then the other trend, of course, is my mustache, uh, yeah, yeah. which people... <laughs> <laughs> people <laughs> so we'll see. He'll probably be more popular by the end of the night, but <laughs> we'll see. It's David Schneider there. <laughs> yeah, that was mentioned as well. That was mentioned yeah, as well. well you know, Bruce, you said uh, earlier that you you liked that. You know, you'd see a little bit of extra stick work as they were going up the ice. And mm-hmm. what Michael reminded me of when he brought up Darlene was something that I enjoyed watching. You know, a player live, and it wasn't this for the same reasons of Darlene. But I think honestly, one of my favorite players to watch live was Gator. Uh-huh. Just you know, watching Jason Smith with his stick in mm-hmm. front of the net was. It it was something out of Vegas magical shows, like the way he could show it and disappear, and and all of a sudden there's a guy leaking in the corner. It was pretty magical, so I, I like that, and I see a little bit of that in Deharney right now. You know, mm-hmm. they maybe went too far with it in the playoffs, I would say, but ultimately, you know, he's got that that real nasty, you know, that stick work. It's not just uh, Nima Linen that's going to run through you like Cronwall. It's 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 nasty. Yeah, I was going to mention uh, Adam Larson as a fun player to watch in person. Same thing. Uh, when Michael was commenting earlier, and I've always long considered Larson to be the Swedish Gator, and yeah. I, I miss both of them. But uh, DeHarnay is—he brings some of those elements for sure. And as an old goalie, again, I—I've—I've I've got a real soft spot for greasy defensemen. Bruce, which of those three guys is in a dark back alley? Do you want to run into the? <laughs> <laughs> Which of those three guys in a dark back alley do you want to run into the least? Jason Smith, Adam Larson, or DeHarney? Least? Yeah, least. Uh, You're running the fastest in the opposite yeah. direction. Yeah. Well, I might have a chance to befriend DeHarney. He seems reasonable. 
Those two guys, I'm not sure what might happen. <laughs> I think I think I'm picking Gator if I had to. I'm gonna run in the opposite direction of a guy named Gator. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Well, guys, it's sorry, sorry. I've been uh, working on. It sounds like my audio is not coming full through on the listen live, but uh, everybody gets me on YouTube, I guess, tonight. So <laughs> we'll see. I'm gonna try to adjust that. Uh, so I'm gonna be doing a little bit of production while we're uh, talking some hockey. Let's talk um, uh, for the first little bit here. Let's talk about uh, some of the uh, headlines of the day. Um, I wouldn't mind starting with the Oilers rookie camp. If you guys are all right with that. And uh, Bruce, I think you've been working on that today. Uh, Thoughts so far. What's the big storyline going into rookie camp? For me, it's how thin the roster really is. Uh, where they have depth on the wings and really nowhere else on the entire rookie uh, uh, roster. They have, uh, well, they got three 18-year-old goalies. We can start there. Don't set your expectations too high for Penticken, I reckon. Uh, (laughs) You know, watch the players. Don't worry about the outcomes of the games. It's likely not to be pretty. They have four teenage defensemen out of eight. Uh, and they got 11 teenagers on the team out of 25. And then they got four 20-year-old signed Oiler uh, NHL ELC guys uh, who none of them have even played one game of pro. And they're sort of among the more senior guys on the team in one in one respect. So there's very, very little. I know that the rookie, the rules of these rookie camps is such that you don't get seasoned AHL veterans playing in these games. And the other teams won't have them either. Uh, but without looking at the other rosters, I'm willing to guess, guess that the Oilers group is the uh, apt to be the youngest and may well have more training camp invites than other teams simply because the uh, uh, the club has traded so many draft picks away in recent mm-hmm. years that they haven't got the influx of draft picks into the... You know, they had the last two years out of 14 picks they should have had, they actually had seven. Right, and they had only two of the only two of the seven were in the top 150. For goodness' sake, yeah. so you can't expect a whole lot of uh, of joy. You know, they got um, uh, Xavier uh, Borgo from two years ago. Uh, last year, of course, they they uh, uh, traded away the Reed Schaefer after they drafted him with the first round pick. So he was one of the seven, and he's gone. So of of the other six, Bo Aiki at number fifty six, he's the only guy with a double digit number. That's yeah. uh, that was drafted by the Oilers, who's in this camp. Yeah. To add to that, Bruce, I noticed when I looked at the roster, only eight of twenty five were even drafted. Right, mm-hmm. they're all just camp invitees and yeah. and guys that are you know basically filling roles and skates to to come and get a scrimmage going. So, what is that thirty? 32 or no 40 percent of your you know roster is is drafted or less so you know, yeah 32 percent no basically so, one and three i think that uh it gives us a really good chance and lots mentioned it in the chat you know to have a really good look at those four or five guys that should really honestly dominate should they not when you look at you know ruby or borgo or bo Aiki, like you mentioned or matya petrov i mean if borgo doesn't like this camp up yeah, no, there he should I, be something wrong. Yeah, he should be the he should be the go-to guy. For him, it's his third one of these. I mean, I I was looking at a file 
picture I posted one the other night of him scoring a goal. I think he scored in, in certainly celebrating a goal in Calgary in 2021, mm-hmm. the year he was drafted. And he, he played two preseason games that year. He played two more last year. Had a pretty good year, all things considered, in Bakersfield. And he's trending nicely. And, of course, he plays right wing where the organization at the top level is a little shy. Mm-hmm. And, of course, he makes an entry-level contract-type uh, salary. He's, you know, he's So he could be a solution if they find they got to clear out at right wing again to uh, make cap space or something. Then uh, he might be closer than, uh, uh, than you might expect. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about, uh, like, Borgo is, is definitely a guy to look at. Now, you, you've got him, you know, maybe Petrov. Uh, you know, a couple of these guys that you want to see. Who's kind of like going to be the dark horse for you out of this squad? The guy that, like, you know, I'm thinking of a guy like Grube, right? We've talked about him on the pod a couple Grube. of times. Uh, Grube, sorry. J- Jason, probably. Jason. How about yourself, Bruce? Uh, well, Jaden Grube, uh, Bob calls him Grube, so I assume Bob knows. Oh, we're going uh, that way. That, uh, uh, <clears throat> he's a guy that intrigues me. Uh, he's a uh, number 65 draft pick, the very first pick of the third round two years ago. And for whatever reason, the Rangers and him couldn't come to terms. And it wasn't because he was he was backsliding or, or spinning his wheels. He was making good progress. He served as Red Deer Rebels captain for three years. Mm-hmm. I, I put quite a bit of stock in that personally. Uh, he was he's six foot three. He's a right shot center with a really good reputation for being strong on the defensive side of, of the puck. And with a, I think he was fifty nine percent on the faceoff dot last year. And it was you know it was just sort of this is this is the guy that at minimum they've they've brought him into uh, to replace Noah Philp, who very unfortunately retired after an excellent and very promising rookie pro season last year. But uh, I think things, other things going on in his life have just caused him to change direction. And there's always hope that maybe a year from now he might come back. But in the meantime, there's this huge gaping hole at right shot center, not just in Bakersfield, but almost through the organization, right? They, they, they lost uh, uh, Bugstad in the summer. And the only in-house sort of logical replacement they had was Philp, and as a big, uh, preferably right shot, uh, two-way, preferably defense first center. And that describes Jaden Groove. He's 20 years old. He's not 24 like Philp was. And don't expect to see him in Oilers silks quite this year, but uh, I see him as a very intriguing addition. I thought a very crafty trade by Ken Holland to wait out New York. He got him. He got him for a number one fifty-two this year, for a sixty-five. That's sort of two years more developed and ready to ready to turn pro right away, which is what they badly need. So he's he's an intriguing player to me. I'm going to be watching him closely this weekend. Yeah, might have yeah, to ask Broberry yeah. how to pronounce Groob. I, I thought it was, you know, <laughs> we had that right. Let's start on that. We're retiring that. Uh, I got I'm just going to say whatever Bob says is probably right. <laughs> yeah, I'll go with that too. Uh, yeah, I got a couple of friends that are scouts in the NHL, and and both of them, uh, when I circled back on Groob, were were incredibly impressed with the player, and honestly, didn't have a negative thing to say about it. Um, you know, the only thing that I could maybe share. 
that was said was um you know that that rangers franchise is pretty boston centric in in how it's run um you know if you look mm-hmm. right from the top to the bottom right. from from jury to uh the way they keep recycling massachusetts coach oh, massachusetts yeah. coach coaches easy for right. me to say like laviolette and and guys like that so i i think that um it came down to the fact that he was a west coast kid and, and was going home in the summers and um you know just kind of had his priorities maybe not quite 100 percent with the rangers and 99% with the Rangers, you know, like, which is just fine. But if you got the choice between that and another kid that went to BC, then you just might, you know, stick with the kid that went to BC. Yeah. Well, I heard some Rangers fans say the organization has changed up at center in the time between, uh, uh, drafting him. And when it came time to, to, uh, sign or not sign him. Uh, yeah. and so that, that might've had something to do with me. That doesn't hold a lot of water in the sense that, Sure, it's different from two years ago. Well, guess what? Two years from now, it's going to be changed again. Two years yeah. from now, is this the time where you might expect this guy to be beginning to knock on the door for the big league team? So, anyway, if the Rangers made a mistake. Great. Let's hope so. Accept other teams' mistakes as often as possible. Certainly, we've had oh, yeah. a few going the other way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you need, you know, this is uh, you know a smart move by Holland, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's uh, he's starting to put a couple of these things together. I think, and we'll talk about it uh, later today, uh, tonight. But uh, Ernie, you know, is another player that I think might be a smart uh, PTO signing and one that kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, I think. I mean, I didn't see it coming, but. Um, you know, in fact, I, I wasn't even sure how to pronounce his name until earlier today. So there you go. Um, of course, I was saying Grube wrong too. So. Grube. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've, I'm wrong once in a while. <laughs> at least, at least once an episode, you can find that. Uh, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is uh, Oilers live from the Heavy Hockey Network. Proud to be a friend of Edmonton Sports Talk. We'll be right back. Devin, Bruce, and the rest of the fantasy hockey hacks right here on Edmonton Sports Talk, Wednesdays at 9 p.m. Mountain, or tune in at youtube.ca slash heavyhockey, and make sure you like and subscribe. Looking for a hockey fix? We've got editorials, fantasy hockey, monthly brackets, and more. Go to heavyhockey.com. Hey, 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 it's Oilers Live Tuesdays, a regular 9 p.m. Mountain Time, now streamed live on edmontonsportstalk.com, or tune in at youtube.ca slash heavyhockey. Make sure you subscribe. Oilers Live Podcast. Want hockey podcasts? Tough Call Podcast, 99 Forever Podcast, Fantasy Hockey Hacks, and replays of Oilers Live. Available anywhere you get podcasts. Just search for Heavy Hockey Network or go to heavyhockey.com. That's right. We need your help. We need your subscriptions. Make sure you subscribe at www.youtube.ca slash heavyhockey. Life 
Hey, 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 it's Michael again from Oilers Live. We've got Bruce McCurdy as our guest tonight and my sidekick Dash on uh, beside me here uh, with our inaugural episode on EdmontonSportsTalk.com. Again, because uh, you didn't hear me if you're listening on Edmonton Sports Talk, it turns out I had my mic muted for about the first 10, 15 minutes of the show. Uh, special thanks to Dustin Nielsen, Matawanek, Tom Gazzola, and Lieutenant Eric. I'll say it again. Uh, and also, uh, some stranger says a break? Question mark. This is new. Uh, yes, it is new. It'll be part of our new format. We'll take little breaks at the half hour mark. And, uh, you know, it just gives you another chance to listen to that uh, epic Oilers Live theme song that um, was uh, <laughs> equated to like an 80s video game the other day which I thought was great. Um, Blades of Steel or something like that. <laughs> Just yeah. promoting air guitar everywhere we can around oh, the Edmonton area. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's one of the best investments I ever made. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right. For the second, uh, second part of the show tonight, we're going to talk uh, about the PTO signing of uh, Ernie. We can talk about some of the other PTO signings in uh, Gagne. Uh, and uh, and Sutter, Ken Holland, of course, talked about them today on um, on Bob Stoffer's show, which uh, was good to hear his take on that. Uh, thoughts, uh, Bruce? I know you just heard about it, but um, thoughts on Ernie uh, signing as a PTO? Well, Buddy's a real hockey player. There's no doubt about that. I mean, 355 NHL games he's got under his uh, under his belt. He's yeah. just. Uh, uh, 28 years old now, and uh, a former uh, second-round pick by Tampa Bay Lightning, who uh, uh, seemed to have a pretty good idea what to do in the second subsequent rounds of NHL drafts, I've noticed. <laughs> and he spent three years in Tampa, and then his old uh, boss, Steve Eisenman, plucked him from there to go and play for Detroit, where he's been for the last four years. And... He's sort of, you know, 10, 12, 14 minutes a night, uh, always bottom six. I don't think he's been a top six player at any point. Energy guy uh, in the sense that he's had four seasons of over 140 hits. Uh, you know, he's he's routinely well over two hits per game. So he's one of those guys that's, you know, at the bottom of the roster and he's in there to try and make things happen. And my first sort of impression statistically uh, is that this is a Josh Archibald type of player, uh, which, you know, is sort of hits me with kind of a mixed reaction um, in terms of uh, it's nice to have some of those aspects, but when he's out there, his teams are getting outshot and outscored. And last year he was in Detroit. Uh, uh, one second, I had it five on five here. 42% for his Corsi and Fenwick. So uh, when your numbers are way down there, uh, your shooting percentages have to be through the roof just to kind of break even, and it's a losing proposition in the longer term. Mind you, Detroit was not that special of a team. No. Uh, but I didn't get much of an impression from anywhere in his stats, 40 goals like total in those 355 games. So what's that, 9 or 10 goals per 82 uh, and like number of uh, of assists, so he's not there for his scoring. He's there for for forechecking and thumping and uh, 
making the other team pay a little bit, and he's here, I think, to fill out the flesh out the ranks for all those preseason games, eight and thirteen days, where they have to hit that mandatory minimum number of pro NHL veteran players. And a lot of teams use these PTOs for exactly that purpose. And, you know, the odd one obviously latches on, but uh, you got to have a few of them just to survive uh, playing eight games in 13 days. You don't want to be playing McDavid six or seven times because you got no, you know, you haven't got enough depth. And if you're playing too many rookies, well, the NHL has something to say about that. So. Anyway, we'll we'll be seeing a lot of sort of mixed lineups. This is this is a guy I'll predict right now today. Adam Ernie, <clears throat> Sam Gagne, and Brandon Sutter will all be on the flight to Winnipeg for the dreaded flight to Winnipeg game in Winnipeg, flight home to Edmonton, all in the same day preseason uh, a nightmare that the veteran, you know, proven pros avoid like the plague. The Oilers always send a, a real ragged lineup to Winnipeg. And well, I think Winnipeg in win September that is absolutely great, isn't it? <laughs> Certainly, you guys mean the airport in Montana. <laughs> That's right, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, before... the paying for preseason games are getting, you know, they're, they're getting, sure, they're getting a lot of NHL veterans, but they're sure getting a lot of guys that are, you know, on the margins, let's put it that way. Uh, talk about that, and Dash will get your opinion on Ernie shortly here. But uh, for those of you uh, listening in, you can check out at heavyhockey.com. Our, our guy Lotsi has done a quick little article on uh, the Ernie PTO. Uh, Bruce will get your take as well on um, Lotsi's uh, uh, thought that um, Holland would have talked to Iserman to see what kind of player he is. Um, and we can talk about that. The other thing, uh, you know, just quickly, I'll say Bruce is on the – you know, guys paying for these preseason games. Uh, Sidney Crosby, of course, is coming to uh, Halifax to play for his first time as a Pittsburgh Penguin uh, against the Ottawa Senators. Good, good. Uh, Drake Batherson, of course, as well. Uh, it's pa- like it's it was sold out within seconds, and uh, tickets are selling like for a preseason game. Uh, for a thousand bucks, which <laughs> so, you know, it's like a Halifax Stanley Cup or something. I don't know. Uh, anyway, off to uh, talk about Ernie Dash. What's your thoughts on Ernie? Got a few. <laughs> All right, well, let's hear him. Ultimately, well, <laughs> look, he shoots the wrong way. Um, so basically, this is like kind of ten thousand spoons when all you need is a knife, right? Like <laughs> we've got. I don't know. You know, we just talked about Grub potentially being a, a guy that could push into the lineup. You know, Raphael Lavoie is a guy that could potentially push upwards into the lineup. Um, you know, we've got PTOs in Sutter. We've got PTOs in Gagne. Now we've got PTOs in Ernie. Uh, sure. I don't know. Um, I'd say Bruce probably nailed part of it. Uh, you know, McDavid didn't even get involved into the eight game preseason until what was a game four last time, Bruce, I think he skipped the first three or something like that. So sure. Yeah. So these guys on a plane to Montana and from a bus up to Winnipeg and they can go and play. And, you know, what I learned from Lotsy's article was, um, uh, Ernie had a little bit of a audition in, uh, 2021, I believe on the power play with Detroit and yeah. fared Okay. Um, so, you know, maybe can do in a pinch there like a Janmark could, uh, but you know, a minute 45 a game or something on the penalty kill. So, you know, we're looking at that guy that's, uh, a, a, 
a solidified penalty killer on most teams and probably could be on this team too. But again, 10,000 spoons, you know, like Sutter's a great penalty killer and Gagne can pinch on the penalty kill. And, you know, that's Lane Peterson's specialty and it's Derek Ryan's specialty. And, you know, this is a great thing to have that we've got this competition for, for the last spot on the team. And it's also says something that it, you know, there's only one spot in the entire forward group that's up for grabs, but I think it also says something that there's a bunch of average players kind of up for it. But my final thoughts on it and what kind of cued me when I read Lotsy's article was um, when he said that or potentially referenced that these two would have thought about it, a light bulb went off in my head. Is Ernie not the future considerations for clean Costin boys? hey maybe there it is (laughs) you know each one of those guys wanted too much money for their own respective teams so we ship clean off and he wants too much there so he comes on a pto here right don't you think he'd take the minimum though at this point well, well he's kind of has to now, I think, right? Point, I, I, I think Holland mentioned it. I mean, there's, you know, 15 to 20 players that are up against the cap right now. Uh, and, uh, you know, who's got money to pay him? That's why he's on a PTO, right? Like well, he, that's the corner he's backed himself into, Bruce. No doubt about it. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, let's um, let's switch gears a little bit. I mean, Ernie is maybe not the biggest Oilers news of the year, but he is another PTO and, <laughs> you know, whether or not he plays, I think, you know, we'll, we'll find out and, and um, definitely he'll play preseason. Uh, and, you know, these guys, I, I think the, um, you know, the competition's good. Holland talked about that on Stoffer's uh, show today, you know, the competition for that extra spot, you know, that's not a bad thing. Lotsy talked about, you know, potential for PK, you know, minutes in his article. That's not a bad thing uh, as a call up if he, you know, ends up playing in the bake. I don't, I, you know, but outside of that, right? Like, there's a lot of bigger stories. I think one of them is, um, you know, coming off of the captain's skate. Uh, I believe the it's uh, Michael DeRosa from the Hockey News uh, wrote the projected forward lines based on a captain skate. Let me read them to you guys. And then uh, we'll talk about what you think. Uh, first line, Kane, McDavid, and Brown. Second line, Hopkins, Dreisaitl, and Hyman. Third line, Fogel, McLeod, and Holloway. And then fourth line, Janmark, uh, Ryan, and then one of either Gagne or Kajula. Uh, Dash, maybe we'll start with you. Uh, thoughts on... Line combinations, how much we read into a captain skate. Uh, any surprises on there? I don't think I would normally read too much into a captain skate, except for the fact that those are pretty much our lines and we're last year too. So, right, there's a little more to maybe put into it this time around. Um, what I like in seeing in there is, you know, there's a couple things ultimately. I, I like the diversity. Uh, I like the way that they have those lines set up, having you know, with Brown in that top position on the top line and then Nuge on the second line and then McLeod on the third line, they've got that defensive responsibility and that consciousness towards the the back end of the puck kind of covered off. Each one of those lines has a playmaker. Each one of those lines has size and speed. Each one of those lines has a pretty goddamn good player on it too. Um, Fogel with McLeod and... Uh, Holloway is a bit intoxicating for me. I think that's uh, that's a lot of speed and 
the wings ability to bang quite a bit with McLeod in the center and being that defensive conscious. Uh, the big question mark for me, I think is why we would see Brown on that first line and maybe for too long, maybe he's a placeholder for Holloway. Like, God, I'd love to see something like that where he could jump up and, and contribute. Um, you know, and, and, or maybe you bring Brown down to a line with Nuge and McLeod or Nuge and Fogel. And, and then you've got a, a, a line you can match against other teams, best, uh, best lines in a, in a, in a situation. So I like the diversity in the way that you can roll four lines and come at them in waves. Uh, I like the way that you can, you know, maybe switch it up and load two lines and have a defensive responsible line. I like the fact that you could still go 11 and seven with it if you need to. So uh, yeah, I I think that there's something to be said about the way that they were put together. Uh, There's something about that for sure. But for me, and and maybe Bruce can kick in on this a little bit because I heard him talk about it on his own podcast, but for me, Holloway, Holloway is the catalyst in all of this. Because if he can come out and he can play like, you know, people that have played before him, the Boldies or the Caulfields or whatever, and and make that step and, and be able to really step into a top six role and contribute in a top six way, that's the only way he's going to be able to contribute. Um, I'll tell you right now, the only way that Dylan Holloway is going to contribute to the power play is by filling Dreisaitl's water bottle after a two-minute shift. So if he's going to score, it's going to have to be five on five. It's going to have to be. And the only way that you're going to do that consistently and be able to get that repetition and, and that, you know, advancement and, and advancing in your skill and, and just getting better as a player is through those types of reps and getting to score and playing top six minutes. So uh, if he's going to come out, you know, guns a blazing in camp like he did last year and get a bunch of points, I think he could earn a spot up there sooner than later. Otherwise, you know, bold statement here maybe, but Holloway might have to start in the bake and I think just play a top six role and play the power play and, you know, just feel good about his role and celebrate a little bit. Right. And and then get called up when an injury is, is maybe necessary down the road. What do you think, Bruce? Yeah. Uh, he, I mean, he's not guaranteed a spot. I, I have him written in pen in the top 20, uh, which is 11 forwards, 7 D-men, and 2 goalies, by the way. And then the 21st spot that's wide open at, uh, at uh, on the fourth line. And I'll remind you guys, I was off the internet all day, so I worked on rosters, uh, on line combinations on uh, Excel. And here are my line combinations. Listen closely now. Kane, McDavid, Brown. Nugent Hopkins, Dreisaitl, Hyman. Holloway, hmm. McLeod, Fogel. Maybe I got the hmm. wings switched. Uh, Yanmar, <laughs> Brian, and anybody who can play either left wing, right wing, or center. Yeah. <laughs> 10,000 spoons on that wing. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, the seven D-men, you know, they all played in the playoffs. And honestly, I mean, it's clear we're going to go with the 21-man roster again, as happened last year, right off yeah. the hop. And uh, it'll be 12-7-2. And depending on who might be banged up at any particular time, the coaching staff has got the the permanent option of going 11-7 or 12-6 and might even do it, you know, consecutive games, you know, rest rest of, rest a uh, D-man one night and a forward the next, depending on the competition, depending how much you want to use Dreisaitl and McDavid. I remember there was a game uh, back-to-back last year where they, they played great in L.A. and they beat the Kings... Uh, uh, two nothing or two one. It was a, a just a very intense game, and they went eleven seven. And 
McDavid and Drysaddle played 23 minutes each or 24, and then the next night they went to Anaheim and they went 12-6, and they just went four lines. And the coach clearly said, "We got enough to beat Anaheim. Just roll in the lines, and that's what I'm going to do." And that night, McDavid and Drysaddle got you know 18 minutes kind of thing, and and uh, they were still rolled to victory. And it was just a matter of the coach using the options at his disposal. And Jay Woodcroft and Dave Manson have proven they are very comfortable working with the odd man units with the that the 11-7 uh, necessitates. And they've come up, Woodcroft in particular, I think, come up with some really neat strategies as to how to deploy uh, the 12th, you know, the invisible 12th man that gets put down the, the yeah. down the roster. And he's even done it where the second line only had two players in the, and it was the second line that was getting, getting the rotating centers. I mean, there's lots of different tricks that he does and lots of highly versatile players on this team. This is the other thing, right? Uh, um, uh, Nugent Hopkins, dry settle. They can all both play center or wing. Uh, Hyman can play either wing. Holloway can play center or wing. McLeod can play center or wing. Fogel can play either wing. Janmark, I think can play anywhere. Ryan can play center or right wing. And so there's all kinds of options and that, during a game, when you're switching guys around, the ability of these guys to say, well, we want Leon to go up with Connor. Okay, dude, you're going down to the second line. Oh, yeah, and you're switching from left wing to center. Carry on. And and they just do it because they're so used to it. So I think in that respect, it's uh, uh, there's some real fluidity that uh, uh, Woodcroft's built in there that I find fascinating to follow within any individual game. Yeah. Yeah, you hit. I mean, you hit the nail on the head at a couple points there, right? The fluidity of the this team, the versatility of this team to be able to kind of move up and down the lineup. Uh, I've you know I've commonly said you didn't even mention him, but I've said about McLeod. I mean, one of the things I think I love about McLeod is is in a pinch he can play you know where you need him uh, if you need him up or down the lineup. He's got the speed to do that, and I think going into this year. Uh, and he's got to prove now that he's worth the money they're spending on him. Uh, we might see an even better McLeod than uh, than we've seen in the past, and he's matured a little bit. I'm kind of curious. I mean, you you got Kane and McDavid, uh, but we saw, of course, Kane with Drysital a little bit last year. I didn't I didn't mind that combo. Uh, I'm curious where the, where they'll play. I was surprised by the by the Connor Brown thing. I feel like. You know, that's something we'll know within the first three or four games where he's playing, right? He's either playing third line or he's or he's playing up with McDavid. And if he clicks right away, um, preseason won't tell us anything. I think, you know, like Holloway and, and like Perlini and, and all that. I mean, Connor Brown's set to score 80 points in the preseason, I think, because mm-hmm. uh, he'll probably get the most time with McDavid uh, on the top line, I would suspect. Get the Ty Ratty um, Award. Oh yeah, hundred um, percent. Yeah, he's a very fine defensive player, Connor Brown. And on the line, especially with Kane, who I think is not particularly strong defensively. And frankly, last year I don't think Kane played particularly well with anybody. Like all of his numbers were were in the soup, you know, possession numbers or plus minus. Or, you know, even his scoring numbers were okay, but they, they were bleeding goals against at a, at a higher rate. And he had a tough time, but we know why. He kept getting hurt, and he had some two two at least very serious injuries last year. 
And you can only hope that at 32 now that he's uh, over that. Uh, but getting a, getting a defensively uh, reliable player on the other wing, so you're not asking McDavid to pick up all the defensive aspect of it. Uh, I don't hate it. I, I'm very keen to see Brown. I know they paid for him, and they'll be paying for him, especially in 24-25 when yep. he may not even be around. Ken Holland may not even be around either for that matter, but uh, Holland has certainly gone, uh, I think, all in. And uh, uh, yeah. this, this, uh, that's one extreme example of borrowing from the future where the guy's getting over 80% of his pay a year later. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's uh, it'll be curious. I mean, you might as well go all in if you know it's your last uh, <laughs> last season, right? You might as well. And I mean, you I mean you mentioned it just in picks alone, right? I mean, a couple of years ago, we were all groaning, and well, maybe not all of us, but uh, groaning about whether Ken Holland was all in or not. And I think he's kind of proven that uh, he oh, is all in. And um, I think the the, the team has proven. I mean, maybe we switch gears a little bit for the last 10 minutes of this uh, section here and um, and talk about this cup or bust. Uh, Dursa wrote an article for heavyhockey.com about cup or bust. Uh, they questioned uh, Dreisaitl, which Dreisaitl, by the way, has got to be the best interview uh, in the history <laughs> of hockey. Uh, <laughs> it's just like, Bruce, I mean, as a, as a media guy, you got to you got to love this guy, right? Like, he oh, writes wow. the story on his own. Yeah, um, Sir Jim Matheson, I guess. Yeah, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, what, what's your thought? I mean, you've been, you've been around. You, you know, you've, you understand. You've seen these teams. You've written for heavyhockey.com about the teams of the past. Is this team, is this team done the walk by the New York Islanders dressing room now and, and seeing what it takes? And, and are they ready to, to take the next step? Boy, that's a great, that's a, that's a million dollar question, isn't it? Uh, I mean, they, Vegas did what it took to take them out last year, you know, and they went out pretty much with a whimper 5-2 in their own barn in game six, you know, when everybody's mm -hmm. saying the turn to win, you know, tie the series again, and then it'll all go down to game seven in Vegas. And then they came out guns blazing, and then it kind of, got away on him and you know it's really kind of left a sour taste in everybody's mouth i know drysaddle in particular was pissed <laughs> and, and and personally very upset with his own performance in that in that game and and down the stretch in that series after he almost had his arm amputated by petrangelo on my dad <laughs> and uh, he was uh, what? uh he but he is he seems like to be the emotional leader of the team you know even though it so much reminds me of the gretzky messier dynamic where you know wayne wore the c he was a big star no question about it he had all the biggest offensive numbers but uh messier was a real core guy there you know the two c so to speak or uh he you know he uh uh and he was better than one c on almost all the other teams right and that's what we got right now with uh, mcdavid and and dry and Dreisaitl also has Messier's gift of being able to play other positions if need be. Mm -hmm. So uh, it, it's uh, it's a really interesting um, uh, sort of echo of, of the past. And Leon, Leon's own commitment to the defensive game is going to be one real huge tell. Because Leon has the capacity to be not just a good defensive player, but a great one. 
And when he's really on his sort of full ice game, he's unbelievable. He's just all over the the puck everywhere. And he's, you know, he's so good with a huge paddle of a stick that he, you know, he he wields it like a wand. And yet at the same time. It's like he's playing pickleball out there, right? (laughs) Right. And and, uh, uh, he plays unconventional defense and it gets him in trouble. But he also plays, you know, doesn't give a crap kind of defense maybe in November and December a little bit more than you'd like to see him just start tightening up on that stuff right away from the beginning of the season and just focus on it. I personally would be happy uh, seeing both McDavid and Drysaddle say, drop, say, 20 points, but go up by plus 20. You know, yeah. just bring, you know, bring the, bring the uh, amount of activity down a little bit still outscore the other guys which is really what you want to do is outscore them so uh, it's uh it's a um uh, they're doing that from a leadership position and you'll, you'll remember uh mark messier in the 84 playoffs when the Oilers finally did win the cup he wound up outshining even the great Gretzky and and winning the Smythe Trophy that year, and and I see that as a distinct possibility if the Oilers succeed, that it will be Leon getting a lot of the accolades. And yeah, yeah. Your th- your thoughts, Dash? I mean, this you know we've seen it. We we saw Drysaddle at the end of the Vegas series, uh, look in his eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, now we see him, you know, with, I, you know, I love the interview. He, he kind of backpedaled a little bit uh, in oh, he that did. interview, you know, but at the same he did, time. He did, I'm glad he did. Yeah, but at the same time, you look at him and you can kind of see the the zeal in his eyes. The, uh, you look, know, you got four it, months to love, cool off and you think style, about what right? you said, right? And yep. you're going, oh, geez, well, maybe I shouldn't have been so blunt with like or bust because well, that puts a lot of pressure on everybody, right? You know, so I think that the fact that he backed off on it was just fine. I think it just made for another classic dry cycle interview for one. But for me, it was proof that they're. You know, they're going to be like Blink-182 and make it all about the small things. Like, it's it's going to have to start right now, and they're not looking past that, right? You know, cup or bust means you're looking at mm-hmm. summertime. Right now, it mm-hmm. starts at the captain's skate, right? That's mandatory. It's not optional. Show up. That's one of the small there. things, right? The, they're not starting just to the push whole team, but the, but the young guys were there too, right? PTOs, the, the uh, off-season acquisitions, and all all 22 guys that are still under contract who played here last mm-hmm. year, all of them are here. That is very, very impressive to me. I mean, if McDavid or, or Drysettle calls you up and says, get your ass on a plane, <laughs> <laughs> who's yeah. going to say no, yeah. right? Connor threw the bat signal up in the sky. and Calling the boys, right? Saying, I've stayed here in Edmonton all summer. We didn't go home to Sweden. Mm-hmm. We've got a new home here in Edmonton, and I can't wait to get going. I mean, what are you going to well, say? And, that, and that's absolutely, that's part of it, Bruce. I think, you know, you talk about you know, the small things and the things that are going to matter. And and Michael referenced the walk by the Islanders dressing room that Gretz and whoever and the boys had back in 1983 that give them that slap in the face that they really needed to start focusing on all those small things and really took that summer to absorb that. So hopefully this was that Oilers summer. I, I really hope that that's the way it goes off. And like I said, I'm glad that he backed off on it because it shows they're looking at the now. Let's focus on captain skate. You know, rookie camp can happen. We'll focus on the preseason. And would you like to see it? You know, there's a few things here too, right? Like 
that's not the only little changes they've made, right? There was different training regimens, um, both Nurse and Eckholm stayed at Edmonton all summer. In fact, from what I understand, they've got houses about one block away from each other. Their kids are playing in the same playground, you know, for, for Eckholm to not go back to Sweden all summer and, uh-huh. and stay committed and start to build chemistry now and start to, those guys are sitting, what we don't see is they're sitting at a playground on a bench while their kids run around screaming, talking about what they know about playing the defense position in the NHL. Like they've been sharing since, since the season ended. Right. So let's hope that those little things come together and let's hope that that whole conversation that dry settle had is, you know, uh, an indicator that that can happen because, you know, Bruce kind of said it too, right? Like dry has got his own brand of defense sometimes. And, I heard your podcast, Bruce. I'd love to see Leo and Davo both up at plus 30 instead of plus 10. You know, let's take that Iserman leap, if you will, and realize that the best offense comes from a good defense. But I, I'd i like to see those guys not have to self-load manage. For, because to me, I think, you know, if, if Woodcroft's going to keep deploying them at 25 minutes a night or 23 minutes a night, you know, you get to those places in the playoffs where maybe we're worn out or what have you. Because in my opinion, like, Woodcroft can... He can coach to win games or he can coach to win a cup. And if you want to give Holloway and Broberg and guys like that quality ice time and quality minutes and, you know, maybe slip Holloway mm-hmm. into the odd power play when a game's a blowout or, you know, when when the penalty kill, like, Nuge is gassed and you can throw him out there with Dry and Holloway for the next shift after the PK, like try to find those little opportunities to get him involved and get him in there. And I think that's a little bit up to Woodcroft because the way we're going to improve is by our younger players getting better. That's without cap space. That's the way we're going to improve. And those guys have to do that for us to take the next step. And that's a good time. Uh, We're going to take another break. When we get back, we'll uh, talk about uh, Bruce's own article. The boys are back in town and eight other reasons for optimism about the 23-24 Edmonton Oilers. This is Oilers live from the Heavy Hockey Network. Proud to be a friend of Edmonton Sports Talk. And we'll be right back. Devin, Bruce, and the rest of the fantasy hockey hacks right here on Edmonton Sports Talk, Wednesdays at 9 p.m. Mountain, or tune in at youtube.ca slash heavyhockey, and make sure you like and subscribe. Looking for a hockey fix? We've got editorials, fantasy hockey, monthly brackets, and more. Go to heavyhockey.com. Hey, 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 it's Oilers Live Tuesdays, a regular 9 p.m. Mountain Time, now streamed live on edmontonsportstalk.com, or tune in at youtube.ca slash heavyhockey. Make sure you subscribe. Oilers Live Podcast. Want hockey podcasts? Tough Call Podcast, 99 Forever Podcast, Fantasy Hockey Hacks, and replays of Oilers Live. Available anywhere you get podcasts. Just search for Heavy Hockey Network or go to heavyhockey.com. That's right. We need your help. We need your subscriptions. Make sure you subscribe at www.youtube.ca slash heavyhockey. Life Podcast. 
Hey, 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 it's Michael back from uh, a break. This is new to us, so we're, we're kind of learning as we go. Uh, we're having some fun, though, tonight. It's uh, Oilers Live Tuesday. will be Tuesday nights, 9 p.m. Mountain on edmontonsportstalk.com or on our YouTube channel, which is youtube.ca slash heavyhockey. Uh, please make sure you subscribe. A couple of housekeeping items that I forgot to mention at the second uh, part. Um, there is a live chat occurs on the YouTube channel. So go again to youtube.ca slash heavy hockey and give us subscribe. And uh, all of this is brought to you by the Heavy Hockey Network, which can be found at heavyhockey.com. Uh, we're going to uh, finish off the show. We're, we're on for another half hour. Uh, with a little discussion about uh, based around Bruce's article uh, for the cult of hockey, which is the boys are back in town. Eight other reasons for optimism about the 23-24 Edmonton Oilers. Uh, Bruce, you know, I'm going to let you lead this one. I mean, you wrote it, so you know it best. Um, you know, your thoughts on this. I mean, there's... Um, We've talked about a lot of these, uh, you know, the committed group, mature experience, the eight, the eight reasons there. I mean, what's, what's the one that excites you the most? Uh, well, these two are kind of related. Uh, Matthias Ekholm will be here all season. And Oilers finally have a real top four, which uh, until the acquisition of Ekholm last year, they just underwent this... Uh, this long and painful transition from the departure of Clefbaum and all the cap mess that came with that, which was a real nice bonus for three years. And uh, <laughs> uh, they kept trying to trade. You know, they traded for Kulikov, they traded for Keith, they traded for Kulak, uh, and they they gave each of those guys a, a, a shot at second pairing defense and Keith retired. You could say that signing, you know, obviously there's different opinions about how that worked, but uh, it worked out not bad in the end, especially when he retired after the one year. Uh, and yet it wasn't until finally that they really went, you know, instead of a third or fourth round pick for, for a guy actually, you know, paying at a heavy price and getting a, uh, a, not only a uh, established top NHL defender, but one with a little term left. You know, the guy's actually coming back. And here we have this year. Now we're going into the year, and we got a top four with the left side uh, of uh, uh, Nurse and Ekholm, or Ekholm and Nurse. Take your pick, and uh, they uh, they'll be playing 45 minutes a night between the two of them. One of them will be out there for uh, three quarters, at minimum two-thirds of every game and then almost all of the high leverage time, you'll find one or the other of those guys out there. And maybe you'll even find both out there if it's the last minute and the one-goal lead, right? And it's, uh, um, it's such a change from what they did when Woodcroft first got here where he loaded up Nurse and CeCe with all of the tough minutes and he tried to basically treat both the Keith Bouchard and the... Uh, uh, and the Kulak uh, uh, pairings as uh, um, third pairings, right? Kulak with uh, Tyson Berry, it was at that time. And he tried to, tried to use them both as third pairings and did so successfully because Nurse and Cece soaked up so many minutes. And that is a very unconventional 
uh, approach, and you'd rather have you know two real solid pairs and then cobble together uh, a third pair or even a trio, as I did here, where they've got you know five, six, and seven are pretty pretty uh, uh, reliable guys. So to me, Ekholm is a big key to where where it goes uh, where it goes next. Yeah. Yeah, Dash, uh, your thoughts? I mean, I know you've read the article, uh, Bruce's article. Your thoughts, what, what excites you the most? Is that calm? Top I don't four. know what excites me the most. Yeah. You know, it's it's just um, the consolidated piece is ultimately, I think, what's what's exciting, right? Because it, it's, you know, a season that we're going in and we got a chance, if, if not one of the one of the best chances in the league. And, and it's because of all these nine things that – we have that chance. Um, Nine you know, I, I always uh, my colleague Kurt Levins. Uh, he's got the he's got the uh, uh, he's, he's got the the um, copyright. So we'll call him. I, I said I wanted to have eight in the headline, and I kind of blew it because eight plus one. Because... <laughs> well, at first I thought you were using Rashog math when you said eight, and then I saw nine at the bottom. I'll be honest, but. Then once I saw you say other things, I, I did put that together. Um, there's not a time in my life that I haven't read an article from somebody like Bruce McCurdy or, or Alan Mitchell where I don't learn something. And what I really liked about this one and what stood out for me was the fact that <clears throat> you did the math and mentioned that there's only three Oilers on the entire roster that weren't born in the 90s. And, and why that's important is that puts our, our entire roster between the ages of 23 and 34. It, which is right, your you know that's your peak NHL years or should be right, Bruce. Yeah, that's uh, you know within three three years either way. You know it's it's very different from having a roster where you're you're talented. I mean, remember the rosters with Hall, Everly, and Nugent Hopkins and Gagne, uh, where they're supposed to be driving the offense and they're all like twenty one years old, right? And uh, yeah. Then you have a bunch of 34-year-olds, and you look at the average of the roster, and you think, well, overall, but you got a bunch of guys at this end of the playing spectrum, and then a bunch of guys at this end. Now you got a team where almost all yeah. of them are near the center of the career curve. Very different equation. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, the, the years of uh, Cogliano, Nielsen, and Gagne running that top line are long gone. Yeah, and you know, you add in guys like Ekholm, right? Like that just adds to the veteran presence that this awesome. this team has, right? Uh, I, you know, when I looked at your article, I mean, one of the things that um, you know I'm uh, I'm looking at that I, you know, that I'm pretty excited about is um, is of course, you know, you talk about this real top four, um, and Ken Holland talked about it today. He's talking about Bouchard, like you know, about guys that he expects to uh, come up the ranks. And he talked about Bouchard being patient and getting his time. Of course, Ekholm, you know, is is really kind of made a change uh, on that, um, just as Keith did with Bouchard too, it seems. He's, you know, he seems to play a little bit better as a calming presence with a calming vet. But I, you know... <laughs> <laughs> lots has been made of Darnell Nurse and, and his comments, you know, about being blamed for everything. When you look at the numbers, and you've talked about them in your article, like, he is just, he is outstanding. Like, for a guy that's just about done everything for this Oilers team, and I'm still watching NHL.com, like, they don't even rank him in the top 30, I don't think. Uh, of defensemen in the league, I'm just shocked by it. I mean, we're, we're, what are we? Two years away from him uh, being what sixth or seventh in in Norris voting? 
Um, he's consistently gets six points on the board. He's, you know, he's put in positions to, I think, not be successful because of how often he plays, right? How many minutes he's played. Um, we might, this might be Nurse's uh, year to shine because he's finally being put in a position to be successful. Uh, so I'm excited about this defense uh, this year. Uh, and it all stems from that Ekholm being here for the whole season piece. Um, but I'm really, really excited to see what Nurse brings when he's being utilized the way I think he should be utilized. I, I think Nurse's Achilles heel has always been trying to do too much, has it not? You yeah, know, but he's see, not been given any choice, really. I mean, uh, oh no, <laughs> yeah. I, I agree. No, yeah, yeah. I can't disagree with that. But ultimately, you know, world. when you've got a solidified top four now, like Bruce has said in the article, it, it allows him to take that step back and not have to always be the guy that goes up against the other team's top line. Sometimes Mateus can do that some nights if Ak wants, and mm-hmm. well, not or if the coach wants, I should say. And you know, ultimately, he doesn't have to do too much on the power play because Bouchard's mm-hmm. still doing that and. Right, some of those nights where he's having an off night or he's running around, you can throw him into that second pairing role, and it doesn't hurt you anymore. Well, imagine if this guy had been playing on another team and the artist went out and signed him. And <laughs> we're talking Relation. about people always saying we need to get a number one defenseman on this team, but you can't pick him up elsewhere. Yeah. You have to develop their own. And the artist went out and drafted this guy number seven. He went back to yeah. juniors for two years. He came in and he played about five games in the AHL. And he poured on into the uh, NHL. He kicked the crap out of his ELC for value. He kicked the crap out of his first uh, uh, um, exp- ex- extension. And bridge number two. Extension. Uh, he was easily value plus on the second extension. And now the bill has come due. And now there's a whole lot of people really <laughs> sour about it. And I just don't fully get it. Like, yeah. What is your definition of a number one defenseman? To me, if you're in the top 32 in the league in a bunch of different categories, that sounds like a top defenseman. If you're in the top 16 of the league, that's you're in the top half of that number one defenseman group. And this was top 16 uh, over the last three years in ice time, even strength goals and points, shots on goals, penalty minutes, giveaways, hits, block shots, and plus. I mean, that's right across that's the, the statistical spectrum. And how many of those guys in the in the fifteen above him, Bruce, have uh-huh. really great line pair defensemen? Right, yeah. like that's the that's like people seem to forget that. Like you know, he didn't have to carry Cody CC and yeah. Roberg and and Bouchard for years, right? Like I think that that's a huge part of it, no doubt about it. Yeah. Yeah, well, he's 32 even strength goals. He's third in the league over three years. (laughs) Carlson ahead of him. Third. Three goals behind the two of them. They're tied. Like, Tad, to Michael's question, how many of the 15 above them could drop the mitts and break your nose? No, yeah, <laughs> there's not 15. He's in the top 16. Sometimes he's 16. Sometimes he's third or first. Or, yeah, you know, right. Yeah, yeah. He's way yeah I'm just saying, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going into the corner intimidated by Cole McCarr or Heiskanen or, right. you know what I mean? He munches. He munches the big minutes, and he and he consistently makes things happen while they're out there. They're not all good. I mean, there's difference between being big, you know, big minute muncher and being perfect. And there's not too many of the latter. You know, not too many Nick Lidstroms out there that uh, yeah. that yeah. never make mistakes. He makes mistakes, and he makes a ton of mistakes, and some of them are pretty yeah. egregious. 
and some some of the things he brings. And if you if you look at like the whole package of uh, of what this guy brings to the Oilers, he has his teammates' backs at all times. Last year there were two times yep. where someone took a run at McDavid, and Nurse just took care of that guy right away because he was out there on the ice for starters. Because he wasn't Steve McIntyre sitting on the end of the bench for fifty seven minutes. He's playing exactly. twenty four minutes a night, so it's a good chance that when something happens, he's going to be available to uh, to deal with it. And the teammates love it, and you know that to me that's I got enough twentieth century in me to to think that still has a whole lot of value. Uh, oh, team, for sure. Team toughness Let me ask is, is a huge part of it, and a big part of team toughness is having your having your teammates backs. And sometimes it's the Nuge that they remember he went to bat for yeah. the guy who hit who hit Yamamoto there, and uh, and Nuge uh, Nuge the Toronto oh. guy there. Nuge laid a bit of a trimming on him, but oftentimes it's Darnell, and he's uh, you know he's not a guy to mess around with, and that's just one aspect that he brings. Can Let me ask you three yeah. quick questions, Bruce. Do I think you'll be better? Yes, because at home. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Let me ask you three quick questions, Bruce. How many uh, How many Norris trophies did Nick Lidstrom win? Oh, boy. Six or seven? Was it seven? How many did he, uh, how many did he win above the age of 30? Oh. You're going to fill me in there like he was eight. Five or six eight. of them? Seven yeah. How old is Darnell Nurse? Yeah, no, he's still yeah, he's still just uh, twenty eight years of age, and I'm I'm confident that his second year on this contract is going to be better than his first, yeah. and I'm confident. I mean, this is a guy that gives, you know, he lives for the orders, but he's you know does other things in his life. He's he's a great citizen in our community. Doesn't get much credit for that, and boy, there's just a whole lot of people. That you, you read any comment section, and just out of nowhere, well, let's rip Nurse and his contract, uh, you know. And so, well, maybe he's only worth seven. Okay, why rip the guy? You know, yeah. I mean, the contract is the contract. Some are a little higher than you'd like. Some are a little. I mean, Nuge's contract at five million, that was a great deal. And so it's just a matter of the timing and when they were signed and what kind of season the guy had the year before. Dry settles contract, <laughs> maybe the best one in the league, right? The same guy that was upset with Horkoff ten years ago, right? Like, what are you gonna do? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, you know, the thing is, is people have a long memory, it seems, when Nurse makes a mistake. You know, I, I can, there were a couple games last season where I was, you know, I was particularly mad at him for a few different things that he did, you know, and, and I just, I chalked that up to, you know, a guy that's playing, you know, close to half the game is going to make noticeable mistakes. And you got to kind of forget about it and look at the whole picture. Um, and those mistakes actually decreased as, you know, he got less playing time because, you know, as you said, Dash is trying to do everything. And why wouldn't you if you're that guy that has to do everything? Um, he was kind of the bright spot on the Oilers D uh, for quite a while. Um, and and so, you know, he was that he was just the guy that uh, like the, you know, the biggest nail always gets hit, right? Like that's <laughs> just, that's just where, where it is for him. And, and so happy that he's um, maybe got a, a chance to be insulated this year. Uh, like to talk about um, one last thing uh, before we end our night, we got about 14 minutes left. Uh, our guy, Lotzi, 
has uh, put an article together. Uh, you can go to heavyhockey.com, check out realistic expectations for Holloway based on NCAA draft comparables. Uh, and for those uh, listening in, Lotsy is uh, Ryan Lotsberg. He writes for heavyhockey.com, one of our writers there. Uh, he put it together, um, and I don't know, Bruce, if you've had a chance to, to read uh, Lotsberg's article, but he put together a pretty good article uh, about what we can expect from Lotsberg this season. Listening again to, um, from whom, to Holland uh, today, he was talking about these guys, and, and he kind of gave... Holloway a pass because uh, Stoffer said, you know, is this a, you know, is this a like they got to make it kind of year for guys like Holloway and Broberg and and Holland said no, like let's give this guy a little bit of a break. He, you know, he had a tough season last year. He got injured. He's played, you know, what fifty one games uh, in the league. You know, he's just had he's had a tough go. Um, and so it's not a make it or break it year, but it's certainly more is to be expected of him. Um, Lotsberg did bring up, you know, utilization. I think it's, it's tough for a guy of, of Holloway's, uh, ilk, if you will, to, um, come in and maybe get that 45 or 50 points when you know, he's going to get very little time on, on the league's best power play, right? He's going to, you know, he could benefit if, you know, say Connor Brown doesn't do very well, but, um, Thoughts, maybe Dash, I started with you last time, Bruce. Dash, your thoughts on Holloway and and what to expect and and uh, where you see him going this year. You know, I, I think you said a couple key words there. Um, you know, and when I, the power play is a big part of it. Utilization is the other part of it. When I read Lotsy's article, I think the, the thing that jumped out for me is, and even looking at that prediction, I you know, I, I, I love Lotsy, but I do think that's pretty high. I don't see him getting into those high thirties and and getting you know a point point half a point a game type of player, and it is it's about that utilization. Um, there, there's no chance that he's going to get any power play time unless it's getting thrown over the boards with the second unit uh, in a four one game and in, in the third period. Uh, he'll get a few minutes here and there with you know those situations where I mentioned earlier where. Maybe Nuge and Hyman have just killed a penalty, so you can throw them out there with Dreisaitl for a shift. But that's really going to be his offensive flashes unless he can solidify himself a spot in the top six. Lotsy said top nine. I think that's got to be top six. McLeod and Fogel aren't driving offensive forces that you're going to get some sort of you know benefit from being on their wing. I think that happens when you're in that top six and playing with one of those fantastic players and you know, when I read that, I, I thought that uh, maybe something he missed in there that he could have added was the fact that, you know, I think Boldy has played in his comparisons for the for the record, if you're listening, where, you know, Matt Boldy and Cole Caulfield and these guys that have come through the NCAA in the same way and how they all played through the NCAA and now how they're flourishing in the NHL. And the big part is, is again, utilization. Uh, 99 career points for Boldy and, and 36 of them are on the power play, right? Yeah. You know, you've got... Yeah. Uh, 79 career points for Cole Caulfield and 23 of them are on the power play. So I, I think that that's going to be a, a, a tough itch to scratch for Dylan Holloway, um, you know, if, at least for the next few years. Yeah. Well, we love to boast about the orders. Uh, great unprecedented uh, uh, first power play unit 
but we rarely mention that we also feature the league's worst second unit. <laughs> between them, among them scored exactly well, I just learned that zero now. goals last year. Zero goals from the oh, second man. unit. A couple of yeah, sets more in there. Yeah. But uh, uh, Dreisaitl, 32. McDavid, 21. Nugent Hopkins, 15. Hyman, 15. Barry, 4 before the trade. And, and Bouchard, 2 after the trade. And there's your 89 power play goals for the season. All of them from the first unit. It's unbelievable. Wow. I remember Cassian getting one two years ago in the second power play unit, just as the clock was ticking two minutes. <laughs> now they play about 82% of the minutes, the first unit, to, to, to be fair, but they, you know, they got a hundred percent of the goals. Yeah. Is it, is it statistically the worst? Did they not get any points last year? Oh, zero goals. Points, but zero goals is my zero point. Goals. It's pretty hard to be any worse than that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is pretty hard. So, the first unit, I mean, why bench him? Put him out there for a minute and a half. Chances are they're coming to the bench celebrating a goal as opposed to changing yeah. out to the second unit, right? So, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and it's hard to what I said hard. earlier, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I, no I, heard, I heard earlier today that, uh, uh the, I think it was Stoffer actually that may have said it. There was, um, of the 50 some rookies in the NHL last year that had X number of games played, um, there was only two out of the out of the 50 some that had less than 10 minutes a night in, in average ice time. And, and Dylan Holloway was second last in the entire NHL in that. And wow. right. It just tells you that if you've got somebody of that caliber on your roster and you're not utilizing them, then they shouldn't be there. And, you know, and that's kind of lends to the point I said earlier in the night is that I think if he can't land that top spot earlier, I think he's just better off in the peak. That discussion went on all year. It was weird. Like right before camp, they said, we either want him playing in the top nine or else we want him playing in Bakersfield. And then he wound up in the fourth line. He stayed there and was forever. And only when they ran into like a true cap crunch that they finally sent him down to Baco. And then, of course, he got hurt the first game there. And that was that. But he was kind of like a a fish out of water. And the encouragement I take from Dylan Holloway's statistical record is that everywhere he went, he was sort of pretty good in the first year and the second year he crushed it and you know he really took a huge jump his second year in the ajhl and uh he uh uh he did similar in college where you know he went from 0.5 points per game to 1.5 in his sophomore year you know just took it to another level entirely and hopefully with the experience that he's gained in the nhl he'll be able to take a good hard skating start at it this year he yeah. didn't have a worse start than he had in his first shift last year. <laughs> Giveaway, eh? Yeah. Cough the puck up for it. <laughs> and you know, the and, other way. And, and that, that's got to affect the guy's. Yeah. It's got to affect the guy's season, right? Like, you know. Oh, I mean, but it's the coach's yeah. trust, too, right, Michael? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And look, I, you know, I look at Holloway. I see a guy that needs a little bit of time. I think playing with Fogel and McLeod, if that's in fact where he's slotted. Uh, that's the perfect spot for him. Uh, and once in a while, Fogel just seems like he's the second coming of Connor McDavid, and maybe <laughs> maybe that's where that's where uh, you know Holloway gets uh, gets some points from in those uh, fits and spurts. And uh, when Fogel's on, I mean, he just he skates really well. He's, he moves the puck really well. Uh, yep. He's just so streaky, um, but he he can be fun to watch. And I, I I'm a big fan of McLeod and. And uh, these guys, you know, they've got some time, this extra time, I think, with the captain skate, this extra two weeks. That's going to account for a lot for these guys, I think. That's what caused my optimism to write that whole article. 
And I, I'm not generally all entirely 100% optimistic, but well, today I'm feeling really good about this team. They all came together to do this. And there's lots of reasons to be. Before we get down into the nitty-gritty about the 12th forward and the 7th defenseman and the 2nd power play, you know, we got some mighty abundance of, of uh, riches here with, I mean, the superstars at the top end of the roster. But, there's you know, there's a lot of, a lot of good things there. And the sad story is, Writing a story like this draws no reaction. There were no comments on my post. I got no replies to my Twitter function. I couldn't even start a discussion about Darnell Nurse when I was singing his praises a little bit about his numbers. But uh, if you write any kind of a, a, a negative article or leave any open question, boy, oh, boy, it's just, you know, so... Uh, it's kind of discouraging in a way. I prefer to be optimistic about my team. There's lots of reasons to be optimistic about this team. We should be enjoying this. We should be enjoying yeah. it together. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. So after you're done subscribing to the YouTube channel, make sure you go and give Bruce McCurdy's article a comment. Tell him whether you like it or you hate it. I mean, <laughs> Bruce is feeling a little lonely tonight. He's been without internet for a full day. Get a little heavy hockey yeah. bump on that article. Let's go. <laughs> like this surely. I couldn't, couldn't tell. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I look. There's um, yeah. There's lots of reasons to be optimistic. I think guys like Holloway, uh, Bouchard. I'm, I'm, you know, we haven't mentioned Broberg tonight. Um, you know, he's uh, who knows. Like, it's just so hard. But I, you know, I started to think about this again. I go back to this um, Holland interview with Stoffer, which I've been talking about all night. So if you if you get a chance, go to Oilers now and listen to that uh, in their podcast. Uh, it. It's good. And um, Holland had a lot of the same talk tracks he always has. Uh, but, you know, he did bring up, um, you know, Bouchard waiting and being patient. Of course, we all looked at, remember, Bouchard spent all of his time in the press box. And every fan, in fact, including myself, thought that was a huge mistake. Yep. Well, it doesn't seem to be a mistake now. I mean, Bouchard seems to be coming along uh, reasonably well. And he, you know, found the time. Uh, you know, whether Holland was alluding to that or not, but that might be uh, Broberg's place this year, right? He might be uh, in Bouchard's position. Well, he was in Bouchard's position last year, but he might be spending more time like that again this year, uh, you know, and, and it'll be up to him to to change that, right? Whether he comes in and, and takes a spot from somebody else. But, you know, we haven't really talked much about him. We've got only a couple minutes left. Um, maybe just quick uh, thoughts on Broberg. Is he, you know, is he going to make the move this year? Well, wh- one of my biggest concerns with Ken Holland's uh, uh, method of building the team is how much term is in the is on the contract. Like if you look specifically, I wrote about this maybe a month ago. Philip Broberg's situation, you know, Holland's tried and true record is. Uh, put a couple of old guys in front of the young guys, force them to beat out the old guy, give the old guy some games, the young guy more games than the minors, and then eventually, you know, turn it over. Uh, but with um, uh, with um, Broberg, he wound up kind of being the odd man out after, after that trade for the, uh, uh, that made him, 
the fourth left defenseman, and there he sits because Darnell Nurse has got seven more years. Matthias Ekholm's got three more years. Brett Kulak has three more years. Now, why they think they had to sign that guy to four years when they got a young guy up and coming, this is this is my issue with Holland's cap management. It's not so much the, the AAV as the term. It's stacked up on so many contracts that there's not much flexibility. And when you do have a guy like a Bouchard or McLeod that hits it out of the park and you're all, you know, you're locked into all these other contracts, how the hell do you get everybody signed? You wind up giving guys away like they had to do last summer. And Bruce, we're probably going to have to keep that as the final thought of the night. We're on the clock now. We can't just keep going all night. And, and uh, you know, I'd certainly Turn love to. I can talk too. hours. <laughs> <of positively. laughs> um, Dash, uh, any last minutes? We've got 30 seconds left before they shut us down. Like, turn off the lights. We can keep going on uh on YouTube for a couple seconds, but um, if if not, I'd just like to say thank you for tuning in. Make sure you go to youtube.ca slash heavyhockey uh, and uh, give us a like and subscribe. We'll see you again next week. Make sure you check out Fantasy Hockey Hacks tomorrow. They've got Jason Chen on. It's going to be an exciting one. That starts at 9 p.m. Mountain. That's part of the Heavy Hockey at Night. Everybody have a great night. We are out of here. Go Oilers!